You know what would probably help is if uh, I had my microphone near my face instead nah. of on the other side of my computer. That, that would Maybe. probably be nice. I probably could have done a mic check in the position that I should have had my mic in. <laughs> that, Do uh, I sound okay right here? Maybe. We're professionals, aren't we? We had a mandate in Washington go back down, so uh, restaurants, the inside of restaurants and movie theaters and all that closed again. I saw that uh, work that could be done at home should be done at home. Yeah. So I went to my broker and I was like, hey, looks like uh, I got to go home. <laughs> so I get to work a couple days a week from home now. So that's been nice. What about uh, what about you? Anything health related stuff change over on your guys' end? Um, a lot of mental health stuff is going on on my end. <laughs> oh, nice. Um. I'm applying for grad school. You know this. Oh, I am yes. well aware. And never in my life have I ever been more terrified of failure than I have been these last two or three weeks. <laughs> like, I've known that grad school was on my radar for years. Yeah. Never thought, what if I don't get in? Because it was always like, oh yeah, I'll just go to grad school and it'll be fine and easy. But now that I'm doing all the paperwork and writing all the letters and all the personal essays and everything, I'm like, holy crap, what if I don't get in? Oh my, and just, just this spiral of fear and just anxiety. I've never experienced anything like this. I used to think people... How many schools are you applying to? Three. I'm applying to Baylor University, Texas A&M, the University of Utah. Were you about to say something about other people? Yes, I used to uh, silently judge people who complained about having anxiety because I was like, "You're just, you're just weak. You just, <laughs> you just suck. Nobody's as cool as me or as good as me." <laughs> I've uh, had to swallow some tough pills this last little bit in admitting that I'm human. And susceptible to panic attacks and not sleeping and feeling nauseous mm -hmm. over over basically nothing. Like nothing has even happened yet. So yep. that's really the well, only... I'm so glad that uh, you've gotten to experience this with the rest of us now. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I've been thinking a lot about it. I had... There was a rock bottom day, kind of. It's actually kind of a funny story. Maybe we'll tell it here in a little bit. I had my rock bottom kind of moment where I finally realized that I somewhere deep down there was a part of me that didn't know that I could do this basically and that was kind of the bottom for me and then from there been kind of processing what was going on in my head and like why why haven't I ever felt like this like this has absolutely floored me and it's I, I, I don't really know still, but the only thing I've come up with so far is that in high school, the hardest thing I did was play football. And, I mean, we didn't lose very much, but when we did, we had an off-season to just lift more weights and run harder. And that was easy, because that's all you had to do, was just exercise harder, and then you could be better at football. But I've never, like, this is completely new and so different than playing sports it's a lot different, and there's a lot, there's a lot more riding on on this uh, outcome. So there was a certain I'm not going to say their name personage in Desert Solace when I was there uh -huh. that was younger than I was, uh -huh. and we had not seemed to have experienced a lot of hardship in their lives uh -huh. as of yet. Uh -huh. Do you know who I'm talking about? I know. I have a very good idea of who you're talking mm -hmm. about. We. 
We very much appreciated their presence. Uh-huh. Uh, I certainly learned things that I wouldn't have learned if they weren't there. Mm-hmm. And I had experiences that I obviously needed to have. Mm-hmm. There was always a part of me that felt bad for the day when he was going to get hit by the bus of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in a way, do you feel like that? Do you feel like you're experiencing a part of that as far as like you've kind of come up against something that you haven't had, didn't think that was possible? This stress and this worry? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, this is like the hardest thing I've ever done. And I haven't even done it yet. Uh, I mean, getting in is getting into grad school is the, the most terrifying thing. Not, I mean, it's hard, but it, like you hear about how hard it is to get in and you hear all these other people's experience of, well, it took me two years or it took me three years to get in. And like I had to take a year off and go work for a year in the fields just so I could get in. But that doesn't, it's different though, because it's them, right? Like, yeah, it's not something that I've experienced yet. So it, it's like this big black hole of unknowns that I'm standing right in front of. And I'm just supposed to keep walking into it and hoping that there's ground there to walk on kind of and that's that's the scary thing is like i really want to get into grad school but i don't know what will happen if i don't and i don't know if i will get in and so it's just it's really those two unknowns that are really getting me right now i'm kind of curious we obviously have some similar language that we've been taught and similar kind of ways of looking looking at things and so do you feel like you are not accepting right now of not getting in I, yeah, I do think that a little bit, you know, I want to be open to that. But like I've mentioned, there's a lot riding on, on me getting in and the situation of me not getting in is very, well, it looks very unpleasant from here. And so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably really hard for me to accept. And uh, I uh, probably don't want to accept that because I obviously don't want that to happen. Do you feel it's, in my mind, I feel like I see three different possibilities of it's due to your personal desire. It's due to perceived people around you and and what they might think if you don't get in. And then the third thing is maybe what you think will happen just to your family if you do not get in. Do you feel like one of those three takes precedence over the other two? Definitely um, the what will happen to me and my family if I don't get in. What was the first one? Just your personal, you know... At least in my experience, a lot of <laughs> I create a lot of wow. my own problems, and so I can attribute a lot of my stuff to just my own shame or my oh, own yeah, yeah. fear that doesn't really attach yeah, to yeah, anybody yeah. else's. Yeah, I would say primarily that what will happen to me and my family, a little bit of my own hurt or shame, um, very little to absolutely none of what other people would think. I think a lot of people who know me know that I really do not care what other people think about me. Yeah. That's not really an issue in this situation, but uh, yet yeah, absolutely the other two. So when does this spiral end? I mean, I've asked you this before, but you have just a couple more weeks before you start getting answers. Is that right? Uh, I have two more weeks before everything is due, and I have no idea when I'll start getting answers. Oh, yeah. okay. The well, date, there is a date, uh, April 15th is when schools would like for applicants to start saying no to acceptance letters. Uh, for students who get multiple acceptance letters, schools ask that around that time you start telling which schools you're not going to go to 
that you're not going to go to them so that they can redistribute acceptance letters to other students who might go there. Uh, but that's yeah. that's the only that's the only date I have besides the deadline, December first. Do you feel like your stress is going to go down once you've done everything you could? Uh, I sure hope so. I do think that, yes, I do think that my stress will go down once I turn everything in and I know that it's as much out of my hands as it could be, I hope. Man. What is it again, and I can't remember if it's been gone over on the show, what is it that is the end game for you? Um, a PhD in clinical neuropsychology. And neuropsychology is the bridge between um, the brain and the body. Is that right? The brain and behavior. The brain and behavior. Yeah. So I've been looking at the programs and the the instructors who are taking on grad students this cycle. Um, and there's a, a guy at Baylor who's looking at um, fear in the amygdala and how the, the fear responses in the amygdala are mapping onto f uh, learned fear and f um, fear-driven learning, um, which we know is a heavy, heavy component in addiction, in making fear-based yep. choices. Um, and yep. that is absolutely what I want to do with my life. Part of the application process is finding these people that are doing work that I want to do and writing part of my personal essay kind of to them and saying, Dr. Keel at Baylor University is doing this this work with the limbic system and the amygdala and this is exact and that's exactly what I want to do because I worked at Desert Solace and with fear-based decisions and, and in addiction it's like i have this background and this is what i want to do forever and so and that's where that kind of that kind of research came in to kind of kind of nudge him and hopefully and say hey look like i've i've got these skills i've got this experience please pick me to come to your school and the te the, the teachers it sounds like have a say mm -hmm. you know as they're reading these is because you're going to be under them yeah it sounds like yeah basically after all of the application is sent in the admissions board will double check everything to see that you meet their minimum requirements and then they hand your application to the teachers in the department that you're applying for they read over everything they read your resume all your letters of recommendation your personal essay um and they see they basically just decide if they like you enough to want to work with you for the next five to six years because it's it's basically uh it's like a one teacher to like two to three grad students situation so it's really? yeah it's a okay. very intimate teaching and learning experience it was that sounds very cool yeah yeah and like a lot of it is i'll be doing this research with him and i'll have the opportunity to take like his work and like build on it in my own way and like do my own research um and like possibly take it into uh, the the realm of addiction and addiction recovery and like do my own thing with it but it uh it's all based on essentially how how we get it how good we get along and how friendly we are um because yeah. there's there's interview processes and everything so you do get to meet the teachers so that sounds very cool in the way of the words that we got a lot at Desert Sauce, which I take very much to heart is, is addiction is misconnection. Mm -hmm. Do I have that statement right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, deficit in connection, failure to connect. Yeah, 100%. So it just sounds and and coming off of this week, I had some great experience. You know, I had some great experiences of really healthy 
connection that uh, and you can just you know when you have those experiences at least well when i have those experiences i can just feel when i get back home i am satisfied i'm content mm -hmm. you know there's not that wanting that longing yeah that uh, to f to fill it with something else mm -hmm. and i think about this where working on something like this actively so personally with the thought of having a teacher with you, this just goes to show how much i know about higher education because <laughs> i had no idea about this but having a teacher with the equivalent of like three students mm -hmm. and the connection that that can have and, and what you're able to do with that versus the, you know, when you're in high school and you got one, one teacher and they got a hundred students a year or right. something. Yeah. That seems very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like when I think about when I daydream about what if I do get in, it's like, those are some of the best daydreams I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Just so fulfilling and so meaningful knowing that i'm doing like good work that is helping people it's gonna be fantastic and and even and if i don't get in this cycle there's always the next cycle and i'm i've been working with a, a teacher here at the u she's been super super helpful she's been super super helpful and formative to me personally and she kind of I met with her midway through the semester and I was kind of voicing all these fears to her and she was like look you're you can do this like even if you don't get in this time then we meet then and we just do the next thing and we just we get you in the next cycle and it's fine nothing's going to keep you from doing this it's just a timeline thing at this point so that was helpful to hear for one but yeah are these words that come to mind when you're having these fears and worries and these panic attacks? Um, I, yeah, after a while, I, I bring them up. They don't come naturally. I, uh, eventually get tired of sitting in my own crap and I start thinking about that and thinking about what it's going to be like when I do get in and things like that. And that does help. It super, super helps. Like you said, with connection, one of the most important things is having a support system that you can rely on. And my wife is just fantastic for that. I rely on her very heavily and I'm super grateful to her for helping me through this. I definitely feel like we're a, we're a team, this little part of our life. Your wife is obviously... Amazing. Has she been over the last... Uh, yes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> over the last two years while you've been um, doing this, has your wife been working at all? Or has she... Uh, I know you guys had a kid recently and your other ones are younger. Yeah. Not uh, not outside of the home. She's, she's raising our kids um, basically single-handedly. And uh, that's the most important thing, I think, to us. And I know it's not for everybody, but uh, for us, that's just where we feel like she's the most needed is in the, in the home and with our kids for now. My specific question with that is, and I don't know, I'm sure you guys have had conversations on this to some extent. You're feeling this, this stress and worry. When this is all over, I'd be very interested to hear your wife's perspective, what she was experiencing. Because she's obviously, you know, she's. Uh, it's not like she's got it easy either. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. So that's just a curiosity I have. Maybe when the pandemic is all over and I uh, I take my bike ride next summer, maybe I'll come down there and we'll have lunch. That would be amazing. And Although uh, if, if things go the way that I want them to go, we will very likely be in Texas next summer. That's fine. But you can come down to Texas on your bike ride. I won't mind. So I've me I mentioned this and, and I promised I'm only going to say this one sentence because I already promised that we're not going to talk about motorcycles anymore. Uh -huh. But the two 750s I have are going to get sold in the spring for one thick bike yeah you've mentioned that to me before and i'm really really excited for you and then at that point it doesn't matter where you are uh -huh. <laughs> as, long, as long as i don't have to cross it across uh, an ocean or a border i the farther you are away the just that's just going to be a more enjoyable bike ride <laughs> very good good to know but yes in the sometime in the summertime 
I like the idea of coming down there and I haven't, I haven't really talked to, I've never really spoken to your wife and I'd love to hear her experience during this whole time that both of you guys have had kids. Your kids are younger right now Mm -hmm. and you've been, I mean, you guys have been at your, her folks' place, right? Yes. Yeah. You've been super busy with, you've been busy for the last couple years at desert sauce and doing school and then at the pesticide that's that's what you were doing right yeah i'm yes still doing it now actually at the pesticide place and doing school and then trying to do the grad school and i'd be very interested to just kind of hear her talk about her experience during this whole time yeah i think that'd be awesome Uh, we might uh she's open to it have her on the podcast and let her talk about it yeah it's gonna be very dangerous because she's gonna start talking as an intellectual and then <laughs> both of us are just gonna both uh, our our jobs are gonna be in danger yeah <laughs> yeah she's gonna be the the main host of the show the two listeners that we have are gonna are just gonna want her back so <laughs> yes uh, you mentioned uh i do i did want to go back you mentioned you had a funny story about oh yeah at the very beginning of the show i want to dip into that a bit all right yeah so it was during that moment of most panic. My, I, I think I called it a rock bottom. Maddie, my wife, was at the store, and I just texted her, "Hey, I, f- I think I finally realized that deep down, I don't think I can do this. Will you, will you pick up some liquor so I can numb these feelings? Um, <laughs> I don't drink alcohol at all. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah." And she was like, "What? What are you talking about?" And I, and I told her. I hear good things about Fireball Whiskey, and I didn't hear back from her until she got home. But when she came in, she was holding a a quart of eggnog, but it was Fireball Whiskey brand no. eggnog. Yes, yes. <laughs> Non-alcoholic. Um, yeah. And so it was, just, it was just this really funny pressure release moment where we got to just laugh together and, and talk about it, talk about like my feelings and and kind of process where I was and again she saved me there and she's probably better than I deserve yeah that was just an out of the blue thing she found this eggnog that was that I was asking for and it was delicious was it? it was so good eggnog season is the best season. Oh, I love it so I was I was going uh when our state did the mandate again I'm sitting here all I want to do is my daily grocery shopping mm-hmm. And I was terrified that milk was going to be out of stock again. Oh, yeah. Because that's my addiction. Mm-hmm. And on the way to get milk, there was eggnog. Yeah. And in the back of my head, I was like, you know what? If milk's gone, it's going to be okay. I'll just <laughs> drink eggnog all week. Just have eggnog in your cereal. That'll be fine. Yeah. Everything's going to oh, be fine. Dude, if you, get, if you see that fireball eggnog, man, highly recommend. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to go searching for it. Uh, I think she found it at Walmart. So. Ooh, that's a that's a dangerous place to try to go right now in Washington State. Really? I just see the lines for when I'm driving by. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of addictions, tell me if you can hear this. Yes. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah. I think the whole world heard that. Oh, good. I wanted to. I wanted it to happen. This episode. What, uh... This is gonna be our first sponsor. This is a conscious creation, Jordan. Oh, okay. All right. What is what's the sponsor? Uh, could you hear me drinking it? Coke. Nope. It's a fireball. Eggnog. Oh, I would be so happy if they sponsored our podcast. <laughs> no. Ah, Rain Energy Drinks. R-E-I-G-A. Oh, gosh. Specifically, Why did I do this to you? the Mangomatic flavor, dude. It is so good. My showing the energy drinks that this company makes started out high, and I have had nothing but regret ever since showing it to you. <laughs> Come on. I would have found them eventually. You you would have. It didn't help that you found them originally at a place that you could just grab by the <laughs> by the pallet. 
Yeah, it's a good thing they never had large quantities of those because that would have been very no. bad for my heart. No, he wanted you to. He wanted you to take something every week or every ah, other week. Man. You always refused until yeah. you got the. You got a hold of those things. Yes, dude, Clarson at Switchpoint, man. I think about him every now and then. That dude was all right. I think about him too. I hope he's not dead. <laughs> That guy. Hope he hasn't wandered into any forests lately. If that if that guy followed through on his intention, he's in the middle of India on a bike, living under a bridge, dealing, probably dealing with COVID over there. Yeah, and that makes me very curious. Yeah, for those for those two uh, listeners, Clarson and Switchpoint. Well, that was a. F- food distribution what's it called it was a food bank for a very specific set of at-risk and homeless people it was a whole program switchpoint was a whole like get back on your feet program for homeless people and uh, people suffering with addiction they had in-house like 12-step meetings they had housing they had like job placement and internship programs, and the food bank was part of it. And we, I didn't know about any of this. Really? This is no. I just thought it was a food bank. Oh man, yeah. You must have been in. We must not have done any other service projects for them while you were in, because we did. No, we just. Yeah, yeah we were just uh, over there doing that thing. We volunteered there every Monday, but we also they would also call us up randomly and just say, "Hey, we got to paint some street cones or something." What did we do that day? Oh, it was totes. Like, Rubbermaid totes. They'd cut out, like, the a switch point, like, template. And we just were spray painting switch point onto these totes and lids. We did, we did that for, like, two or three hours. I got to, today, I was able to join the missionaries. And there's a gentleman that was needing some help with a resume and to have a computer to print it out. So we went over to the, one of the family history centers mm-hmm. for our church. And uh, it was a building that had a bunch of computers. And uh, I also kind of took him there and back. And on our way back, he's very soft-spoken. And I was talking to him and the places he had applied at. And he mentioned McDonald's, but uh, he didn't really want to work there. And I asked him why, because I had the feeling that it was the same reason I didn't want to work there. <laughs> and he said, oh, it's just kind of my last resort kind of thing. I don't, I don't really want to work there. And so I got to challenge him on and share well not challenge him necessarily is share my experience of i didn't want to work there because i had an ego and i didn't like the fact that i had been a manager somewhere mm-hmm. and now i had to go work at mcdonald's doing dishes yep. after the fact the subsequent employers liked seeing the mcdonald's on my resume mm-hmm. they liked seeing recommendations from those managers because mcdonald's has a very kind of set good proven way to train train their staff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a good first job to have it wasn't my first job <laughs> but uh <laughs> but it was on there maybe just in the wrong order yeah but uh that job helped me in in other you know in other job yeah i think program i mean now that i know everything that switchpoint does i think that's an excellent program <laughs> yeah great job switchpoint <laughs> one last thing for me though this was the yes. actual thing that i had that i wanted to say oh okay All right. yeah none of that was uh i didn't even want to say any of that but i did nice uh, just very quickly, shout out to my best friend, Kevin, the mean man Mortensen. He listened to our motorcycle episodes and he gave me some feedback, uh, which I greatly appreciated. We were talking about the difference between like a sport bike and a cruiser bike and how the stroke size, how far the piston moves compared to RPMs translated into top end power. 
And he had this to say. Size of the stroke versus RPM plays a role in power output, I think. I think the gear ratio in the transmission and sprocket size plays a bigger role in top end speed. While RPMs being elevated give sport bikes more agility because the power gets to the wheels faster, gear ratio is really what plays in the top end speed. I can have a much slower engine with the same power as a higher speed engine, but if my gear ratio is right, I can spin the wheel the same speed, the back tire, the same speed. So you go faster. So thanks, Kevbot, for that. I always appreciate learning about motorcycles. So thank you. And thanks for listening to the show, dude. Thank you for listening to the show. We don't even have audio yet, or we don't even have a music yet, and yet, uh, yet people listen. Yeah. <clears throat> I have two things to say yes. to Kevin. Kevin Mean Man Mortensen, is that? Kevin the Mean is Man. That the name? Yes. He also responds to Kevbot. Uh, my first thing is it is dangerous to label yourself as one that knows about motorcycles as the questions will only get more saturated from there. But I do. I like that. Thank you for because that was something I was confused about and didn't necessarily wrap my head around between the sport bike and the cruiser. Second of all, I have a question back for Kevin. Uh, I need to know how Kevin feels about Kevin the Mean Man Mortensen being a name of a D&D character. <laughs> I am interested in that as well. 